Welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for women who want real talk, raw stories, and reputable information. Each week, we'll be interviewing thought leaders in the women's health sphere, sharing stories, building our toolkits with tips, information, and strategy. Hi, I'm Jess. I'm a mum, a stationary addict, director of a women's health charity, and love a good glass of Prosecco. Hey there, I'm Isabella and I'm a former teacher, now student nurse. I'm sassy and I'm hella basic when it comes to my sushi order. Together, we're on a mission to empower women through education and support. It's about developing a toolbox for your health. Some weeks you might hear from both of us together, other times it might just be one of us leading the conversation. Now, Now, let's let's get get into it and and talk period. Welcome back to Let's Talk Period. This week, I sat down with Danny Bryans, a lifestyle and fitness content creator, model, ambassador, and Pilates teacher for KX Pilates. Danny is based on the beautiful Gold Coast, and her and her husband have just recently announced that they are expecting a baby due in September. This beautiful news comes after years of experiencing excruciating pain, with Danny describing the feeling like being a zombie, curled up, lying in the shower for hours on end with at least 8 out of 10 pain. In this chat, Danny is so open, honest and raw in detailing her encounters, her struggles and the decisions she's had to make. From feeling like she needed to justify herself to her bosses and the people around her to have them believe her pain, And going into a doctor's office, ready to have a hysterectomy because she thought there was no other option to get relief from the pain she was experiencing. This was all until last year, when Danny was finally diagnosed with endometriosis after almost 20 years of symptoms. In this episode, we talk more about the long road Danny's been down to find the answers for her pain why she is so passionate about sharing her health and wellness triumphs and struggles with her following, as well as touching on her experience with breast implant illness. And she also shares her top tips for returning to exercise post-laparoscopy, as well as what's coming up next for her. Now, let's get into it, and here's Danny. Danny, welcome to Let's Talk Period. Thank you for having me. Oh, so excited to have you on the show. Um, we've been longtime admirers of yours. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I've listened to your guys' podcast as well and did a little refresher this morning, you know, just to see what questions might pop up. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm all under control now. Oh, that's good. You're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> well, if you're a listener, then you'll know what our first question for our guests normally is. So... What have you done to nourish your body today? Um, well, today I've done what I've done pretty much every day. These <laughs> last few weeks being in isolation. Well, you can leave your house for a little bit of exercise. So um, this morning to nourish my body, I've got a smoothie. Um, sorry, not a juice. So a ginger juice, which I have yeah quite frequently. Um, it's sort of a little thing I do. I pick up on my way to um, take my dog for a walk. So... Yeah, walk my little dog, Max. Well, he's not so little, but um, I walk <laughs> Max every day. That is a non-negotiable because he's a very active dog. So that's how I nourish my body, just get moving and, um, yeah, have something yummy and a 
big brekkie, I kind of roll out of bed just dreaming about breakfast. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> starving. So, yeah, that that's sort of uh, my everyday thing. But now with everything going on, because as we record this, obviously it's, you know, the coronavirus is happening. Yeah. Um, no longer getting up at five o'clock. I'm sort of getting up at maybe seven, maybe eight. So I've got nowhere to be. So <laughs> the body nurturing and nourishing stays the same. <laughs> I love that. No, and I can totally relate with the rolling out of bed a bit later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm getting a bit lazy, staying up too late. And um, mm. it'll be a shock when I do have to go back to work and start teaching Pilates classes at five o'clock in the morning. That's, That's for sure. right. You'll have to like um, train yourself back into waking up earlier. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you talked a little bit about your morning routine, but could you go into a little bit more detail of what your morning might normally look not look like like pre pre corona <laughs> yeah yeah well um like i said like walking my dog is a non-negotiable unless i've got something on um that day because normally when you know pre corona i work as a freelancer <laughs> and a pilates teacher so i don't have your standard nine to five where i have to be somewhere at the same time every day so um yeah day-to-day it changes um, so yeah, it just depends what I've got on that day, but I'm not, I'm not like a meditation or yoga type person. Um, for, for me, I'm quite the opposite. Like I have to, you know, get some music going and I get out and get active. That's sort of my meditation being, um, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of just getting some alone time and being out in nature or being, you know, walking my dog with my headphones on or something. So that's sort of my morning routine to get me, I guess, fired up for the day. Um, yeah, I've, I've tried yoga and I've tried meditation and it's, I just can't. I would love to be, I guess, good at it, but that's not my way of, um, of yeah, getting my day started. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, some people it works for, other people it doesn't, and that's okay. Yeah. And then our second sort of question that we ask people when they come on is about their toolkit. So do you have anything that you would recommend our listeners add to their toolkit to help manage their health? Um, oh, gosh. I feel like I've tried everything to manage my <laughs> health since I was, like, a teenager. Um, and uh, to be honest, I'm still trying to figure that out. And, uh, gosh, there's so many things. Like, a lot of people talk about supplements you can take and herbs and drinks and tonics. Like, I've tried all of that, but mm. it's I'm pretty much, I'm a fairly healthy person, um, except for my period pain, which is why we're here. (laughs) Um, But I just, um, when was it? Probably about six months ago, I started taking something called Fem21, which um, a naturopath reached out to me on Instagram. So um, she, yeah, she suggested that I take that. And I, I did start taking it. And to be honest, that really did balance me out. That's probably the only thing that has actually made me feel good every day. Um, but it didn't eradicate my period pain. Nothing yeah. does, unfortunately. But yeah, I've been to that many n- nutritionists and naturopaths who sell me all of these little weird, yeah, your, you know, your tonics and your drops and your things. And I leave a thousand dollars later with all this stuff, and nothing has proven to work to me. So I'm not going to give up. Interesting. <laughs> um, if anyone knows the secret potion, let us all know. Definitely. <laughs> Out of pain. But, yeah, I, I hope 
oh, I don't want to sound like a downer, but yeah, nothing's really worked for me. So that's um, okay. Keeping it real and honest. Absolutely. But um, just, yeah, managing my pain when it does come. Um, but I wish I could, yeah, avoid it before it does hit. But um, yeah. Um, yeah. What would you do when the pain does hit? How do you sort of help to manage that pain? Um, well, for me, my pain only comes on like day one and day two of my period, which since learning I have endometriosis, I've realized that a lot of girls just have pain all the time and I feel absolutely awful for them. Um, but for me, it's just, yeah, restricted to those one and two days of my first, uh, sorry, first day or second day of my period but it is absolutely chronic. And mm. the only thing that has been able to sort of somewhat help is really, really strong painkillers, which I absolutely hate taking. And I, if I have a really bad migraine through the month, I don't take anything. So I'm like, no, nah, I've got to look after my liver because I need it for this, you know, one or two days in a few weeks when it's going to be mm. really bad. So it's really just been about pain management, um, which really sucks. And I can't wait till there's a... Um, yeah, some sort of better relief or, you know, I guess, yeah, cure. Really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've tried all the natural ways, like I said, and just nothing cures the pain. So I just got to suffer, suffer with it. But, um, yeah, just medication is the only thing that has helped. No, but it's so true. And yeah, I'm in, like, quite a number of Facebook groups. Yeah. <laughs> And so many girls and women, they say the same thing. Then they have to rationalise, like, which day to take their pain medication. Oh, absolutely. You know, is it, yeah, does it warrant it today or will it be worse tomorrow? You just never know, do you? Yeah. Well, for me, it's always the worst on that day one. And so I know when it's coming. And yeah. I try and get in early and have it, you know, a couple of hours before. And I've had doctors, you know, say, you know, take Ponston, which is, you know, like a, uh, anti-inflammatory thing and I'm like that's just like taking lollies for me mm. like it doesn't do anything <laughs> I kind of laugh it off I said like, oh, my pain is just a bit more chronic than this so <laughs> a bit past that thanks yeah yeah oh it's a shame sort of like batten down the hatches and all stations like ready to get into gear for day one yeah yeah it's just like I've got this little care pack that I you know pull out of the medicine cabinet all right here's all you know my Penadine fort and all this stuff. I've got endone in there when I'm really desperate, which I really don't like taking because it <laughs> knocks you out for a while. But literally, um, yeah, the pain is chronic, absolutely chronic, so I need it. And how do you sort of pick yourself up on those days when you do feel like that? Because, you know, being in that amount of pain, even if it is just for two days of the month, it is really hard on your body and especially like mentally as well. Yeah, um, to be honest, just mentally, I'm a bit of a zombie. So it's more about just surviving, um, to be honest. Like I spend a lot of time just being, I, I don't know if anyone's ever described it like this, and I, I hope no one else goes through this sort of pain, but I literally am in fetal position on the shower floor, either with or without my clothes, just the sooner I can get in the shower, um, the better. It, it's just the only thing that relieves my pain and I can spend hours there and I'm just not even thinking like, um, and yeah, the sort of the medication gets to your head and it sort of slowly starts to put you to sleep. And I know this sounds just awful even talking mm -hmm. about, but it's, for me, it's the only thing that's ever really worked. And there's probably only about one or two cycles in a year that are not this bad. Like I'd say the pain, 
is probably only eight out of 10, but most of the time it, it really is 20 out of 10. And the only other person I've met with this sort of pain is my sister. So she started getting it. Um, yeah, this chronically in probably the last like 10 or so years as well. So it's, it's really, yeah, it's hard. I'd love to hear from other people if they're going through similar sort of pain, whereas everyone else I meet with endometriosis, it's sort of spread out over the month, um, which again is not ideal, but yeah, that's sort of, sort of the only thing I can do to, but that's my thing. Just the one or two days, like say to my partner, all right, you know, I'm going to be down and out tomorrow and he knows and he helps me and yeah, not much he can do, but yeah. (laughs) I know know lots of partners talk about that as well when they see their partner in pain and how they feel so helpless and they just try the best they can to make it that little bit easier. But yeah, it would be so tricky to watch. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing they can do and I totally get that, but um, yeah, it's just sort of something we have to deal with on our own and say, look, for the next few days, I'm going to be surviving and <laughs> in a lot of pain. So stay away from me. But when I need you, come and help me <laughs> pretty much. But um, yeah, I'm really lucky to have someone who understands and gets it now. Definitely. Oh, and you mentioned just before that you have been diagnosed with endometriosis now. And I know back in October that you shared that you'd undergone your second laparoscopy. Can you sort of talk a little bit about that time? And I know you've briefly touched on your experiences going forward, but can you just sort of take us back to there and, you know, the surgery and then before that, how you were feeling or if you're any better now at all, anything like that? Yeah, um, all right. So that laparoscopy was successful, but I'll start back at the one I had two years prior to that. Take us Um, back. (laughs) Yeah, so that would have been, what was it, 2017. I think it was about October, September, October 2017. um, I got referred to a gynecologist from my GP and I'd never been to one before. I didn't know, you know, what I was going to have done to me. But the reason why I went to her initially was because I had a pap smear and it came back as having precancerous cells and I was going to have to have surgery on my cervix. Um, she did this thing called like a let's, like it's spelled L-L-E-T-Z. And basically they just remove some cells that have shown to be yeah, precancerous. And then after she did that, we got chatting and she's like, how's your cycle? I'm like, oh, well, it's actually incredibly painful. I've seen probably everyone on the Gold Coast about it. No one can help. And she said, oh, have you had a laparoscopy? And I'd never heard of that. I was like, what is that? (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah. And she's like, well, it's, you know, basically keyhole surgery. We just have a look and see if you have endometriosis. And I was like, oh, so you think I might have endometriosis? Like I'd heard about it, but this is the first time anyone actually said you might have it. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so pretty much a week later, I was in surgery because I was desperate to get out of pain. Yeah, <laughs> and, as we all are. <laughs> yeah. And she didn't find anything. So that was disappointing because I had no answer. Mm. But she did uh, find that I had something else called pelvic congestion syndrome, which, again, I had to open up Google and be like, what is she talking about? What is this thing? Um, but basically that's just a very rare case of having like too many veins in your pelvic region quite simply um, in non-medical terms (laughs) Uh, if you think about like women who might have like veins on the back of their legs all those spider veins that's what I have 
but inside, inside your pelvis. Yeah, inside my pelvis. Um, so she's like, oh, maybe that's causing the pain because, you know, the blood, you know, goes to that region during menstruation and yeah. the valves only work one way. And I'm like, okay, cool. How do I fix it? Like, I, don't, I get it. How do I fix it? What am I going to do? She said, oh, you'll have to remove your uterus, like have a hysterectomy. And where was your mind at at that point? <laughs> well, I'm like, okay, I'm like 29 and I have, don't have kids yet, so that's not really an option. Um, <laughs> what else can I do? And she said, you can do something called embolization, which is putting like a stent in some vein that stops it going to your heart. I don't know, it, was, it just sounded all a bit too much. And um, I went and joined all the Facebook groups with a about pelvic congestion syndrome and a lot of girls are saying don't do it you know it's much worse now I'm like oh my god I'm just torn yeah so there's nothing I can do I could do the pain went on for another two years and it it got worse so um I actually went and got another another referral to a different gynecologist um this is also a doctor that helps with fertility and things like that because I'm like okay I'm you know early 30s now what have I got to do? Because I was desperate even just to get a hysterectomy at this point because I couldn't deal with the pain. And um, he said, look, why don't you try and have a baby before, you know, we're <laughs> going down that because that's a bit extreme. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm desperate. Like you have no idea how bad this pain is. And he said, look, let's do a laparoscopy. I'll see what I can find. Um, and yet, lo and behold, he did find endometriosis removed it all um and he said look now's a really good time to try and you know fall pregnant and then you'll have no period for <laughs> nine months or like longer if you're breastfeeding and all that stuff so I'm like all right said to my partner tim like we're not getting any younger anyway let's just try and do this i can't do with pain um and i actually got pregnant pretty much straight away after that surgery which was really exciting and i didn't think it was going to happen so quickly um yeah. i'm really grateful for that um because i guess I, I always thought i was one of those girls who everything is broken with me in my reproductive area like it's not going to happen so i yeah i'm ready I, for sort of the battle i guess yeah yeah so like if there are people who have endometriosis and you know are having problems with fertility like just don't give up hope just yet or even if you haven't had a laparoscopy ever before like go and get one um because it really does help you, you don't know what you have until they go inside really and have a look so um yeah I guess I was grateful that yeah the pain was gone I think I was more excited about that I was like, oh, thank god <laughs> don't have to put up with that crap anymore but um yeah, I was really relieved to have the, have the lap and actually have an answer like, oh, my God, yes, I do have endo. And then my sister went and got a laparoscopy and, yes, she has it as well. And although, like, the pain does come back after six months or something, like, it's still some short-term relief at, at the very least. So You have, like, a name for what's wrong and you're not, you know, sitting there wondering, is this all in my head? Like, you know, nobody can find anything. So it is really a relief to have that diagnosis. Oh, it is, yeah. It's actually got a name to it because, honestly, like, it's just been really hard since I was an, a young teenager with no one understanding, like, oh, you know, this girl, she's whinging about period pain and she's not coming to work again today. It's like, well... I think people these days are a bit more educated that like it is a real thing and we're not just being lazy and, you know, just cruising for a day off or something. Um, yeah. it's, 
Yeah, and, and I know everyone gets different levels of period pain as well. And I think having a corporate job in my early 20s, like I think my female bosses were the most hard on me because perhaps they had like an easier cycle than me and they're sort of rolling their eyes like, oh, what is she doing? Like I have my period and I'm coming to work. But it's it's really hard to like put, I guess, a number on how how much in pain you're in, you know, like either you, you feel it or you don't. So, yeah, I think everyone's starting to, to understand it is a real thing. <laughs> That's for sure. For sure. And so was talking about periods something that you did feel comfortable with before, you know, you spoke about your female bosses being almost harder um, to accept that and, you know, they have their cycle and you said, you know, there's no way to compare whose is better. So, yeah, were you comfortable talking about periods or not really? Um, yeah, I, I was um, when I was younger for sure because I felt like I just had to explain myself and I, I didn't care if I made people feel uncomfortable because I was in so much pain and I was desperate to sort of be like, look, I'm not faking this. I'm yeah. in a lot of pain and when you tell a lot of guys like my dad he was probably a bit like oh it's a bit icky okay that's all right stay home from school today like he he understood and he even saw it firsthand like in my early teens uh, I think it was probably like 14 or something and I basically passed down the shower floor and I had a Japanese student remember how you could get those students come to your school and live yeah. with you weeks and I had one of those and she came in and I was on the Oh, floor. how traumatic. And I was like, I'm fine, I'm just in pain. But she couldn't understand what I was saying. Then my dad comes in thinking I'm like dying on the floor and I felt like I was. But um, mm-hmm. that was the start of, yeah, my family realising like this is not normal. Um, she's in a lot of pain. And it wasn't too long after that that I um, went on the pill and I'll be honest, like the pill did help a lot. Um, the pain subsided because I could just skip my period whenever I wanted. Mm. Um, and I was on that for probably seven or eight years. And then it started to affect other areas of my life. Like I was getting really anxious and I was, um, yeah, just sort of having like bouts of depression for no reason in my early 20s. Like life was great, but I just couldn't understand why I was so down. And mm. then I think that was about the time when I think it was in like the US and Europe where the Yasmin pill came out to being uh, like it was revealed it was really quite bad for girls and depression and anxiety and I was like oh my god that's what I'm on like this all makes sense now so I immediately just stopped taking it (laughs) I didn't even go to my GP and say look I'm thinking about this you know should I stop or can I change I just stopped cold turkey um and never touched the pill again after that and Mentally, I became a lot healthier, but the period pain came straight back and ended up getting like PCOS and all these other things, you know, associated with my cycle. But that um, my PCOS just went away by itself after a few years, which I was really grateful for. But yeah, the um, the pain got progressively worse as I sort of got into my thirties. So. Yeah, so going back to that, I kind of digress there, but yeah, okay. I, I was comfortable talking about periods early with anyone that would listen because I felt like I had to explain myself that, yeah, what, what was really going on. Not good that you needed to justify, you know, your pain and like lots of people have to do that, unfortunately, but 
if there are more people speaking out about it, then there won't be as much of a need to justify. So it's sort of like a bit of a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, thanks to, you know, broadcasters like yourself and people on Instagram and all these other platforms where people can freely talk about it. Like I I find so many girls are coming out now going, oh, it's okay to talk about it and she feels the same way. And there's, yeah, so many platforms that we can now, yeah, share our story and not feel, um, you know, that we're burdening anyone or that we're making it up. So, yeah, I appreciate the podcast (laughs) and people like you who allow us to have a voice. So, yeah. And you talk about health with your following and, like, you've made a few um, IGTV videos. Like, you talked about your story a little bit on there and then you also made some videos about, like, breast implant illness and things like that. Why is talking about, like, your health something that you're so passionate about with your following? Yeah, well, um, that was something I wanted to keep separate from my um, Instagram and my social following. I don't, I don't know why. It was like, even though I was comfortable talking to like my boss and my friends and my partner and my family about my pain, I was like, no one wants to hear about that crap. Like, I'm going <laughs> to you know, have people think, oh, this is not the sort of platform that I want to follow or this girl. And I just thought, Essentially, I thought people would stop following me and think I was a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> um, and then I started seeing other girls talking about it and I'm like, you know what, I admire that she is being honest and basically my whole identity for a good 15 years was like I was just that chick who was always having period pain. Like it, it dominated my life. It really did. So I thought I'm just going to do a video. If it relates to anyone great if I lose followers I don't care because you're not my people anyway but um I just I really need to get this off my chest and um I shared it and I got so many messages from people saying oh you know that's great thanks for sharing where did you go to get your lap where did you you know who did you see for this and I was like wow people are actually starting to talk about this now and maybe taking some action for themselves so that, that really inspired me then again to talk about, yeah, the breast implant illness thing, which um, which really affected my life for a good two years at least um, because I probably when I was like 21, I got a boob job. I went to Thailand <laughs> and I got my boobs done. <laughs> I, was, um, I was actually living in Thailand doing modelling stuff and I thought, oh, my God, you can actually get really cheap boobs here. And, you know, I had, I had nothing. I just wanted boobs in my early 20s. <laughs> Um, and they were great for almost 10 years, but I was just feeling really sick and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Um, I was getting blood tests. I was getting ultrasounds on my boobs, everything. And they're like, you're fine. Just go home. And it kind of brought back those memories of like being a teenager, like with the period pain thing saying, you know, every girl gets the period. You're fine. Just go home and have a panel. And I was like, no, I'm not giving up this time. So I actually came across a breast implant illness Facebook group with hundreds of thousands of girls in it. And there was a list of probably like 30 symptoms. And I was like, oh my God, I literally have all of these things. Um, And it wasn't just your usual list of like headaches, dizziness, which can mean anything, Mm -hmm. but it was just so specific. And I just cried. I was like, holy crap. Like I have this. I just, I know there's something wrong with my boobs. And I went back to my GP and I persisted to get an MRI. And she's like, you don't need one. Like, they're dangerous to get and they're really expensive. 
And I said to her, no, like I had my boobs done in Thailand and I think that they were part of that round of toxic implants that came out a few years ago. Um, and she's like, okay, look, because you think it could be a medical thing, like we'll just Medicare everything. Um, so I went and got an MRI and they're like, oh, you have a rupture on your right implant. And I was like, I knew it. Like I've told you guys it's been burning for years and ultrasound doesn't pick it up. So if anyone's thinking about like going to get the boobs checked, if you've got implants, like ultrasound does not pick this up. You have to have an MRI. And then pretty much the following week I was in surgery um, getting it replaced. And initially I wanted it removed, but my surgeon just said there were too many complications that can happen with the skin coming back onto your rib cage and rippling and then getting stuck to your lung and all these other things. And I was like, wow. okay, yeah. That's a, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Right? But, um, yeah. And it's so funny because as soon as I walked out of surgery that day, which it only took half an hour, but they literally replaced my good one with like my left one, which is the non-ruptured one with a new one. And then my right one, there was no implant left. So they actually had to suck it out with a vacuum. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like carrot juice, like it was orange and it was fizzy and absolutely disgusting. But of course, I didn't see this till I woke up and yeah, the surgeon said, that's your implant in that beaker. Like it's, it's liquid. You, your body liquefied your implant, which was terrifying because I thought, oh my God, I've eaten all this plastic and it's now going around all my, <laughs> you know, circulatory system. Um, I thought that's probably causing, you know, an array of issues for yeah my periods and just just it all came sort of together um but yeah as soon as I left that surgery I walked out and I could actually like feel my body again it was weird like I was awake and I was alert and I just hadn't felt that good in years so um but no it didn't fix my period pain that was still there but that was just a another issue but um yeah the medication from that breast implant surgery I saved and used it for pain relief from menstruation time so <laughs> yeah it goes to show how much pain you really do get when you get your period as opposed mm -hmm. to having a surgery <laughs> definitely yeah uh, and I feel like I'm you know you might you know how you said you might feel silly or you, no one wants to hear about this or whatever but you know you sharing those stories and making those videos they probably did help so many people not just with the period one but as well as the breast implant illness one like there's probably people searching for answers that have no idea yeah and I still get messages um at least a few a week I even got two yesterday about that breast implant one I was like wow like I posted that over a year ago and people still finding it and um yeah I feel like, yeah, I really am helping people guide them. Like, I'm not saying you should do this and you should do that because I'm definitely not a medical expert. But if I can just give them some sort of motivation to go and sort themselves out, um, then I feel like I've done my job. But, yeah, it, it is good that a lot of people are now taking action when they know something's not right with their body. So they go and seek um, some help. And if you don't get ants the first time, like, go and see someone else. Um, you know, there's plenty of doctors out there and, um, you know, naturopaths and nutritionists who might help you, but, you know, you've just got to keep persisting. It's your body, so you've got to keep, um, yeah, keep persisting to find good health, seriously. 
Yes, a hundred percent. I really resonate with that. You, you know, you keep seeing as many people as you need to see till you get the answers that you need. Yeah, yeah, of course. And like I've spent that much money on, like I said, all these pills and tonics and. Even um, just before I had that second laparoscopy, I went to another doctor here on the Gold Coast who's like a hormone health specialist. Um, and she ran a few tests on me and found that I um, have this gene called MTHFR. I don't know the long word for it, but that's why they shorten it. And I, was, I never would have found that out if I didn't go to her. Um, but I'm glad I did because... What that basically means in short is um, I can't, my body won't process vitamin B and folate properly, which is really important when you want to have a baby, right? Yeah. (laughs) And at this stage, like I'd been taking Elevit, which is like, you know, like a preconception um, vitamin. And she said, stop taking that immediately. And I was like, what? She goes, because that's toxic. You've got MTHFR and it's toxic to your body because you can't, convert um folic acid into folate and i was like oh my god well like no one's ever told me this before you know you see all these ads and the gps are telling you thinking about having a baby like have elevate so it's like you just learn something new every everyone you go and see like and i'm I'm really happy i went and had that test i'd never heard of it and she's like you've got you've got this and you've got the double gene that's even worse and um one of, you know, the characteristics of having MTHFR is that your body is working basically at 50% capacity, which is exactly how I feel, like always having to have a nap and just feeling fatigued easily. And all of that can get fixed, by the way, just by having um, one tablet a day, which is what I have. It's just a, um, it's a methylated version of vitamin B. And that has fixed me. I feel a million dollars. So um yeah it's just crazy like if you're if you are thinking about having a baby like go get tested because how do i kept taking elevate um to you know balance out my hormones it could have been doing all these bad things to me because i wasn't really absorbing it and it actually deflects other good vitamins from your body Mm. yeah i know we can't get tested for everything but i'm just like i just felt I'm always learning something new from all yeah, these Sort of adding a little bit, like each puzzle piece, you know, you yeah, pick up. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, just another thing that I've got to, to <laughs> add to the list. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you're working your way through it, which is totally okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned before, and I do know that you're a Pilates teacher as well. Yep. So... For those girls who do have endo or they might have adeno or they're struggling with PCOS or something like a hormone or reproductive-related condition and they're wanting to get into exercise post-lap or just, um, you know, try and exercise when they are struggling with that fatigue, what sort of suggestions might you recommend for those girls? Yeah. Um, well, after you do have a laparoscopy, um, it is important to just take it really easy, like you can't do any abdominal exercises um, just because they've gone through your abdomen. So they basically cut straight through your abs um, and you are prone to hernia. Mm. So you don't want to get a hernia with, you know, your insides coming out, <laughs> um, which causes a whole another array of problems. So I do suggest, 
you know, taking it easy, going for a brisk walk. Um, you know, if you, if you do weights or you go to the gym, you know, maybe just focus on your arms and legs, but don't do any ab stuff. Um, but it is really important, um, whether you had a laparoscopy or not, just stay active most of the time when you're at your highest energy point. Um, and then don't feel bad on those days where you feel like absolute rubbish and you need to just lay on the couch and, you know, eat a bag of chips, which was me day one and two of my period. So, but I feel like it really does help mentally and physically if you can be active every day, you know, walking your dog, going hiking or, or something or other on those days where you feel good. So yeah, post lap, take it easy. Um, wait at least six weeks before you go back to any high intensity sort of workouts. Good suggestions. <laughs> what would you say has been like one of your biggest highlights so far? Um, oh, just being able to make an impact and I guess online and having people accept that I have this issue and I, uh, <laughs> I've been able to help other girls, you know, identify with me and, and other girls to be like, okay, uh, it's okay to feel like this and there is hope out there and we're all in this together. So, yeah, I'm quite proud that I was able to share my experience and just give some good suggestions, even if it doesn't result in, you know, an immediate sort of outcome. Like I feel like there's a bit of a community, you know, and I'll go back to the podcast like with you guys and, and Quendo, like all these organisations that are really helping build community um, for, for these girls that, really have maybe not had anyone to speak to on the same level. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm proud to use my platform and, and my voice to, yeah, I guess share my story and encourage others to do so as well. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing to say. And, you know, it really does make it feel all that better when you're, you know, using yeah. your following for something so important. Yeah. What would you like to see change in the women's health field? Um, I, I just, because this is an invisible, you know, illness or, you know, problem that we have, it's, it, I feel like it kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit. <laughs> um, but I, I think I do see some positivity that in the future, people will start to take this seriously and find, um, a cure for endometriosis. So I really would love some, yeah, more help for, for, the women's health industry to, yeah, I guess just all rally together and take, take this seriously because, yeah, there's a lot of invisible, you know, diseases and things like that that are out there and we can't fix everything at once. But um, I do believe we are well on our way. So, yeah, I definitely think that endometriosis deserves a lot more attention and, and it is. It's definitely been more spoken about in the last couple of years. So, in another two years' time, I'd love to see where we're at and I think we'll all be really happy with where it's heading. Yes, I do. I think, yeah, that's so true. I'd be really interested to see where we are in two years' time as well, especially if we're keeping the momentum that's currently going. Mm, yeah, yeah. Although everyone's quite busy at the moment trying to fight coronavirus, so they're probably... True. They've switched focuses a little bit, yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, which I guess, yeah, it's a bit more serious and you know, endometriosis is not going to kill us, but um, it doesn't make for a very good quality of life, that's for sure. So yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait for the day when we can all celebrate Procure. 
That would be great. I can't wait for that either. What is coming up next for you, though? Oh, gosh. I don't, I don't think anyone knows what's coming up next. The world has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like with everything happening at the moment with coronavirus, like everyone's <laughs> pivoting and I'm the same. Um, well, my life is certainly going to be different in September because I'll be having a baby. You will. Um, yeah. <laughs> But I've always worked as a fitness trainer and I, this is so funny, but um, in the last week I've just started doing my online program. So I've already got a a big wait list of girls ready for me to do. It's a non-pregnancy fitness plan, by the way, but I've got to film all this stuff. So I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I wait till I was pregnant to do Yeah. (laughs) Can't do. So I'm more trying to, yeah, do online fitness because I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be really busy after September with a baby, you know, um, I won't be able to go to work as much as I'd like at the studio because I'll be, you know, too busy at home. Mm. Uh, but I'm just trying to change, yeah, put everything online. And I'm open to anything really. I think just in the last few weeks with everything going on in the world, it's made me think, well, what else is out there? Like I'm, I'm really an open book for for anything. Um, I'm not an open book, but I'm, I'm just open-minded. That's, that's yeah, you're open thing. to any opportunity that yeah, presents itself. I can do anything, you know. I'm just looking for things to study online and, um, yeah, I, I really don't know. Um, I've always had sort of service-based industries, so I've, I've had online stores before. I've worked in events and I've worked in women's networking um, events and and a lot of digital marketing type stuff, but I'm thinking I want to do something different. Like, I don't know. If you've got any suggestions, let me know. <laughs> but I'm always looking for Instagram. Come and tell Danny what she wants to do. <laughs> yeah, come and send me a DM on my Instagram. I'm open to anything. I'm highly skilled and, um, yeah. <laughs> skilled in a lot, but what do they call it? Jack of all trades, but master of none. <laughs> but, yeah, I just like to be busy and do lots of different things. But, um, yeah, I feel like this is an exciting time. Like I was researching, you know, having an online store. I was like, oh, maybe I should either start or take over someone's online store. I'm like, I don't know. It just, I'm thinking what am I going to do to work from home when I've got a baby? So, <laughs> well, it's yeah. a beautiful positive outlook to have. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? I guess, yeah, I'd just reiterate that, um, I, yes, yeah, suffered for almost 20 years with my pain before I actually got diagnosed with endometriosis. And I've seen that many physicians and, and people who I thought could help me, but no one had an answer. So don't give up. Um, just keep, yeah, persisting for answers and, and you will get there. So that's, that's what I, I recommend. Always get a second or 100th opinion. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Oh, thank you so much, Danny, for coming on today and speaking with us. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Period with Danny Brines. If you want more from Danny, and I'm sure you will after listening to this one, you can find her on Instagram at Danny underscore B-Y-R-N-E-S and where at Let's Talk Period AU. Let's Talk Period is an independent podcast, so if you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple or follow us on Spotify. 
We would love for you to continue the conversation about this episode over in our Facebook group, Let's Talk Period podcast community. It's the place for all people who want all things real, raw, and reputable. Have you had breast implant illness? Do you have endometriosis? How do you manage your pain? These are the questions people want answers to. If you want to get involved, head over to the podcast community. We would love to have your opinion. Let's Talk Period is a production of Quendo, a non-for-profit organization supporting anyone affected by endometriosis, adenomyosis, PCOS, or infertility. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes and the information, recommendations and topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history.